a privilege to be with you tonight. Um, T-minus one week and one day, right? That no one's counting, right? No one's counting, not even myself. But I know it's like the final fight is in front of you. So you've got this. The staff are cheering for you. Um, we are behind you 100%. And we are really excited for um, your finals to be over as well. Because we get a little bit of a change of, I don't know, maybe I was saying we. I get a little bit of a change of pace. I'm looking forward to your finals being over as well. Um, so we are continuing in this series, The Resurrected Life. And yes, I do have some props. Because um, I, I can't come and not bring very random things for you to try to figure out. What is she up to tonight? I'm not making you spaghetti. Um, I have no burning surface. But Jack, you're doing Project Impact this summer, and we're going to have spaghetti just because with meatballs, just because you asked. Um, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this, um, but there are days I wake up in the morning, and I just have this running to-do list in my mind. And I am like, I am going to conquer this list today. And I get up motivated, ready to go, and I just begin my day. And I love, there's like something so satisfying about crossing things off to-do lists. Sometimes I'll add things to a list that I'm already done with, and then I'll cross it off just to like, like make myself feel like I got more done that day than I actually got done. Um, but I love, I'm very type A, firstborn personality, so I love just the task of getting things done. But on days like that, where I've gotten a lot done, Sometimes at the end of the day, when I lay my head, I don't know if you can see this, on my memory foam pillow, this is kind of what I felt like my day has been like. Like, man, I got so much done. I was like a steady stream of activity all day long, like patting myself on the back. Okay, don't breathe that in, Ian. Um, this is from the fawn, P.S. <laughs> I'm sure you could get fined for this. Um, it is the dirtiest sand in Los Angeles. But when my head hits the pillow at night, I, my heart kind of feels like this sieve. It feels very empty. Like my to-do list may be beautiful. Everything may be checked off. But my day was really consumed with me and with my agenda and getting everything done that I thought would satisfy me. I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's kind of how I feel at the end of the day when my life has revolved around me. So on Tuesday morning when I got up thinking, when can I go back to bed? I don't know if you ever feel like that. It's like, okay, Saturday I'm going to take a nap. Um, I, this hit me while I was brushing my teeth. Aaron, when you devote yourself to yourself, you deplete yourself. When I devote myself to myself, this is what my life looks like. It's total, my heart is depleted. Say it with me, guys. Let's repeat after me. Let's engage. I know you're tired. You're like, oh, my gosh. It's kind of dim and dark in this room. We've turned on all the lights we can. You're just going to have to track with me. If you need to stand up, you can. But let's repeat it. Okay, when you devote yourself to yourself, you deplete yourself. Thank you. One more time. When you devote yourself to yourself, you deplete yourself. And thankfully, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the passage that we're going to look at tonight, knew our human tendency that our tendency was just to get into this self-mode and to be motivated by our own agenda. And so in this passage we're going to look at tonight, he gives us these reminders of don't 
slip into that self mode. This is the antidote to self. So before we look at the passage, let's talk about a little bit about who Paul was. So Paul was one of like the early church fathers. He lived, um, I guess, ancient um, Jerusalem. He was, like many of you, highly intelligent, well-trained, well-spoken, a far better communicator than I will ever dream of being. And he really felt like it was wrong, these followers of Jesus. And he felt like it was his job to preserve the Jewish faith. And so he began murdering followers of Jesus. And I I couldn't tell you how many he murdered, but I know um, we know that Stephen was his first martyr and um, the first martyr of the Christian faith. And so that was kind of what his life was about until he encountered God. And everything changed after that. And so then he began giving his life to making the message of the gospel known. And it was his dream to get to the city of Rome. How many of you guys have ever been to Rome? Not enough of you. You have to get to Rome. It is, I have not traveled that many places around the world, but Rome is like at the top of the list. Because you walk around there and you're at the forum and you're like, the Apostle Paul was here at the forum. You go to the Colosseum, which is way cooler than across the street, and you're like, this is the, like, no, it's not debatable. (laughs) Hundreds, if not thousands of Christians gave their lives in that arena to the cheering crowds. They gave their lives to the cause of Christ. I mean, it's like you are standing on holy ground. So much of church history happened in Rome. Go to Rome, people. It's amazing. You will fall in love. The food is just as good as they say it is. And so Paul ends up in Rome, the city that he's longed to go to, but he doesn't end there how he thinks. He's he's not freely walking around the forum sharing the good news of Christ. No, he's under house arrest. And what was his major crime? Sharing the gospel. Essentially, he offended the wrong people. And those people said, enough of you. You're, we're locking you up, buddy. We're going to try to contain this message that you're trying to spread so much. And so for two years of his life, he was under house arrest in Rome. And Paul didn't do what you or I would do. I'm assuming this is what you do. This is what I would do. If I was unjustly imprisoned, I would be writing every single person who I knew had any sort of connections to try to get me out of jail. Right? Because I'm not supposed to be there. I did nothing wrong. And so I'd be asking you, I'd be writing to you guys, who do you know in any sort of power or authority who could help me get out of here? Because I would be of so much more worth and value to advancing the kingdom of God if I wasn't stuck here. Right? But that's not who Paul is writing to. Paul's writing to people who you and I would be like, these people are powerless to help you. People who live far, far away and who are just trying to live this Christian life to the best that they can. But he's writing to people who are bringing him before the God who has control over his prison time. So that's who Paul is writing to. And that's the passage that we're going to look at tonight. The very end of this book of Colossians that we've been talking about. So we're going to look at Colossians 4, 2 through 6. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pick it apart a little bit. So it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let me pray and then we'll start talking about 
this passage. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the students gathered here. Thank you for how hard they've worked this semester. I do just pray that you would awaken our hearts to what you want to teach us tonight, that we would be men and women who are devoted to you, devoted to prayer, devoted to sharing your message with those we encounter. May our lives testify to the magnitude and the power of the God we serve. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So verse 2 begins with this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I don't know many of you well. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Erin. Some of you know me better than others. I work with freshmen, so I know some of you better than others. But um, those of you who know me well would probably, um, if you were honest and if I was honest, would say, yeah, Erin's not devoted to prayer. That's not something. I would love for it to be known by that, but honest truth, Erin is devoted to Erin. Aaron is devoted to that nap on Saturday, to the comfort and the convenience of my life. If you looked at my calendar, my day planner, my Google calendar, because I have a lot of organizational tools, remember I'm the type A, that you can't be too organized, um, my bank account, so much of that reflects me and what would satisfy me and make me happy and make my life easier. Remember the illustration about the sieve? Yeah, it's the, the sand of, of my agenda that I devote myself to every day. But that's not what Paul tells us to do. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. If you think of devotion, devotion is not like being devoted to prayer. is not like waking up in the morning. And sometimes you might be, well, I prayed this morning and your prayer was like, God, 10 more minutes. Like, that's about as far as you get in your prayer life. Or could you hold the sun back for 30 more minutes and, you know, let me get 30 more minutes of sleep. You did that in Joshua's day. Could you do that in my day too? Um, you know, it's just praying. Devotion to prayer is not like just praying before meals. It's being devoted to prayer is weaving prayer in and out of your life all day long. I was thinking, um, if you know how to worry, which I think we all, we all know how to worry. We don't, we don't go to class like, here, let me teach you how to worry. Um, you know how to worry. Some of you are really good worriers. I, I'm an expert worrier. Um, prayer is really the antithesis to worry. Because I don't know about you, if you have something going on, I'll be having a conversation with Sarah, and then it'll be a lull, and my mind will go back to this situation I'm trying to figure out. So I'll start thinking about it from this angle, and then Sarah starts talking about it. i got to concentrate. You know, or then I, I'm working on stuff for Freshman Connection, and I start thinking, okay, but from this angle... If this changed, then I could do this, and I could respond this way. And then I'll be like, no, no, concentrate on freshman connection. And then later throughout the day, um, you know, I'm working on cooking, cooking spaghetti for dinner or something. And I just start thinking about the situation again, like, okay, maybe this will happen, and then that will work out. Okay, that's the best case scenario. But what if when those thoughts start creeping in, if we decided, okay, God, this is overwhelming, I cannot see my way around it. Would you help? Okay, okay. So I did that, and then later on, you know, I'm cooking the spaghetti again, and a different thought comes in. No, I'm, God, help me not to worry. That's my propensity. You know me. You know this is a weakness of mine. I really want to surrender this to you. Would you work in my family? I don't know how this is ever going to happen. This professor is a maniac. He does, I don't know what he wants. Nobody knows what he wants. I can't figure it out. Like inviting God in rather than spinning yourself in circles and spinning myself in circles. So if you know how to worry, you know how to pray, just let the catalyst when you begin to worry catalyze you to pray, to invite God into the mess, to invite God into the conflict, to invite God into the chaos, the confusion of whatever is going on in your life. That's devotion to prayer. But all throughout the day, 
your mind just went, you want to wander to something else, your mind wanders to God. It's just concentrated on devotion to prayer. And he's, he describes like how to be devoted to prayer. He uses this word watchful. Like, that's not really a word we use much, but it really means to be alert, to be mentally awake. Not at all of you right now are watchful. It's okay. I know you're, I'm not taking it personally, but when we pray, that's how God wants us to pray, to be mentally awake, to be alert, to concentrate on what we're saying, not to just slip into that pattern of, would you bless me? Would you bless my mom? Would you bless my brother? Would you bless my sister and my dad and my uncle? And bless, Just bless everyone. Bless everyone. Freshman Connection. Just bless them. Bless them. It's like, we don't even know what we're saying. We're just saying the same thing over and over and over again. That's not watchful praying either. You know, we're engaged when we're praying with a watchful heart. It's not multitasking. Like I said, I like to multitask. I like to be efficient with my time. Prayer, being devoted to prayer is not multitasking. Like, I'm going to scroll through Facebook, and I'm going to pray for the people as I read their statuses. Or I'm going to, I don't have enough money for Hulu Plus, and so while I watch this show and the commercials come on, I'm going to pray during the commercials. No, it's like not multitasking. Watchful prayer is being alert mentally. Like you're, you're focused on praying. That's the task that you're doing at the time. And then he says, with thankfulness, that we are watchful when we pray and we're thankful when we pray, that, you know, we are able to approach the throne of God because of the cross of Jesus. That that is incredible. That with gratitude we pray. With gratitude we make our requests known. God is not our administrative assistant that we say, okay, you handle these tasks, I'll handle this, and we'll meet up at lunch and discuss what you've gotten done. We don't tell God what to do. We invite him, and he's already at work. So he invites us to have a relationship with him. So we're thankful when we pray. We're not demanding. We're not entitled. We're humble, and we're making our requests. And so Paul's saying, when you pray, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And he goes on to, to describe like, hey, when you're praying, one thing that you could pray for, those of you who are living in Colossae at the time, you could pray for us. In verse 3, he says, pray for us, meaning he has friends in Rome. That's hint, hint. That's what we're talking about next week. Paul and his friends in Rome. So you're going to want to come back and be watchful next week because you're not going to want to miss it. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul is urging his friends to pray for the advancement of the gospel. I read that verse and I am so humbled by that because so often my prayers are for God to remove the pain in my life, for God to make my life easier and more comfortable, that I wouldn't hurt as much, the people I love wouldn't hurt as much. That's my idea of a good prayer. When people ask how they can pray for me, typically it's those things. It's not the advancement of the gospel through my pain. And he uses this word, he says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And this word mystery, it's not like you're like reading or watching like a murder mystery. It's not that kind of a mystery. The mystery was a word that was popular with pagan religions in that day. It referred to kind of like a, a secret 
information that was only available to an exclusive group of people. That's how the pagans use this term. And Paul's like, that's not your term to use. Paul stole it back. He radically changed it. And so when you read, Paul actually uses this term a lot in his writings. But when Paul uses it, he pairs it with the words revealed, made known, made plain, revelation, disclosed. Like Paul's saying, this mystery is not a secret. This mystery that Jesus would take on flesh and blood and bones and that he would walk on this earth, that he would be a part of this broken humanity, live this sinless life, die the death on the cross, pay for our sin and our judgment and make a way for us to have a relationship with God. That's not a secret. Let's make that known. That brings Jews and Gentiles together, these people who did not get along, did not enjoy being around each other, who could not agree on things. That mystery brought unity to people that would never have united people in any other way. So it's not a mystery that's for the exclusive or just a small group of people. This has been made known. This is what Paul is giving his life to making known, right? So what does Paul not ask prayer for, like what we were just talking about? Paul does not ask for prayer to be released from prison. That's not what he's asking for. He's not saying, could you pray that this term would end quickly, that I could get out of here faster? I mean, I, I don't know what kind of life that would be. I'm an extrovert, so not being around different people would get old after time. I don't know what Paul's personality type was like, but I just think it would just get tiresome. I don't know anybody who would want to be under house arrest for two years and think, wow, could you just pray that, that I could just stay here as long as God wants me here? That is a really godly prayer to pray. That would not be the prayer that I would be praying. But what if you and I decided to follow Paul's example? And rather than pray for the things in our life that are hard and that are challenging and that are painful and that we would rather go away. What if we prayed that God would use those things as avenues to make his name known? That the gospel would be made known clearly through my life as I hurt and through my hurt, through the things that I wish would go away. The people that really drive me crazy to think, could they get a job offer in Alaska? Like, it would make my life so much easier. Like, that God would use these things in my life for his name to be made known. You think about those Roman soldiers, and I think of Roman soldiers, I have a very vivid imagination, it's like tough and muscular and hard and, and mean, and those are the people who day after day were hearing Paul transcribe, or like, it's not transcribe, because he was like telling someone else these letters like, those are the people that day after day saw the gospel lived out in his life. And he wasn't asking his friends there to help him get out. Or let's, let's like, I don't know if they could drug the Roman guards and get him out of prison. Like, they weren't trying to, like, be devious and get him out. But using his platform in prison to share the good news of Christ. What if we began praying not for our own comfort and convenience and the ease of our life, but that God would be made known through the things in our life that are really hard, that we don't understand, that we thought would look differently. Like Paul going to Rome, thinking, hey, I'm going to get to go up and down these streets and share the good news of Christ. And that just is not what it looked like for him. So what are the things in your life that you tell yourself, that you think, 
if this were different, then I would walk with God. If I had more time, then I would spend time with God, or I would come to Christian Challenge, or I'd be at Freshman Connection or Life Group. You know, what if you began to live your life now, how, you're going, how you want to live it for the rest of your life? By grace, through faith, and dependence on God, that come what may, you are going to walk with God and pray that God would use these things in your life, that his name would be made known through your brokenness, through the pain, through the heartache, because you are, I know your story, some of you, and some of you have tremendous pain that God is working right now to redeem in your life. And he will. And those are the stories you're going to get to tell again and again and be bold in sharing them. But consider, and I challenge you really to consider what you're praying for and what you're asking God for and to begin to ask God for different things, things that would bring him glory instead of making your life a little easier. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 5, writing to those who had the freedom, who were living in Classe, he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. You know, Paul had a very specific calling on his life. A calling that differs from you and I and a lot of other people. Most of us are not going to be, you know, standing before officials and testifying to Christ. If God calls you that, may you do that with great boldness and courage. A lot of you are not going to be called to, to lead churches. Some of you will, and I I'm excited to be there one Sunday in the auditorium, just grinning ear to ear, so proud of how God's using you. But that all of us, each and every one of us, are called to testify with our lives. But we are called to testify with our lives. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And maybe this term outsiders might not sit as well with you. Like, oh, Paul, I really don't like that word. You just, well, uh, it doesn't matter if you like it or you don't like it. What it means is he was just describing people who had not yet decided to follow Jesus. And in his part of the world, that was a large population. Because remember, this Christianity thing hadn't, isn't that, wasn't that old at this point. It had started in Jerusalem and gone to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That was the Acts 1.8 that we, the passage that we've heard before. So Paul wasn't saying, you know, there's exclusive. Remember, it wasn't about the exclusive and the inclusive, but it was just about for anyone who hasn't already decided to follow Jesus, those are the people. Be wise in the way you act towards them. What do you think it means to be wise in the way you act? I'm glad you have asked. I think that it is not as complicated as we would like it to be. Because sometimes we're like, I don't understand what that means, so therefore I don't need to do anything with it. So we're going to bring it down a notch so that we can all apply it to our lives. I think that it may look something like some of these things and a whole lot more, but this is just a smattering of examples I could think of. I think it's uh, like you go to Ralph's and you pay with the 10, but the cashier gives you change for a 20. And you say, oh, you gave me too much change. She's like, nobody does that anymore. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to sleep at night uh, knowing that I have so some integrity. Um, I think it's slowing down and helping people who need an extra hand that day, going an extra mile that you didn't think you had the time for, but that God made a way and, and you made the time to help someone else. I think it looks like integrity in group projects. Um, I just walked by a student today who um, was just so excited that someone had given him a homework assignment. 
He didn't have to do the work. You know, cheating was rampant in my day. I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you guys. It's still rampant today, you know? Being students of integrity. I think it's being students of faithfulness and your group projects that you are the one who shows up and someone else is like, I didn't think anything, anybody was coming. You're like, well, I said I would be here. Like, oh, it's shocking. Like, you said you would do something and you did something? How rare is that? It's pretty rare. Being faithful, keeping your commitments, that's another rare thing. Doing things with excellence. You're like, I'm not just going to turn in shoddy work. Like, no, my name's attached to this, and I represent God, and he's an excellent God, so I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. However, whatever the best looks like on two hours of sleep, you know, do the best you can with what you got. At the end of the semester, I think we're all running on empty, right? But we're going to be excellent to the very end. How do you speak the words you choose, building people up rather than tearing people down? You know, that's a wise way to act towards people who have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. What about in this pressure-packed, anxiety-ridden last two weeks of the semester? How do you handle the stress and the pressure? Are you someone who gets wound so tight and you just make everyone around you nervous and anxious and you're just emanating stress? People are like, I really wondered about this peace that comes with Christianity. Like, could, could you tell me more about that? Because it seems like I don't have God in my life and I'm a lot better off than you. You are such a stress case. Like, no th- thanks, but no thanks. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Like what Stephen was talking about last week. Like the peace of God that is accessible to us, that we don't have to walk around full of anxiety. We can access the peace that that God so generously offers. And speaking of generosity, that's also a way that we can be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. Being generous, that's a rare thing. So is there really any difference when you look at your life in the way that you live and act, and the way that people who don't know Jesus live and act. Consider that. Think that through. As your head hits the pillow tonight, consider those things. A few weeks ago, well, I guess more than a few weeks ago, Neil talked about things that we need to put off and put to death. And then a few weeks ago, Stephen talked about in Colossians 3, things that we need to, to put on, that clothing that we need to wear. So I wanted to refresh our memories and look at this passage In Colossians 3, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What better description of being wise in the way to act towards outsiders is that, putting on those clothes each and every day, which is impossible to do without God's help. We can't live like that. I have zero patience without God, you know. Um, We need his help to transfer these ideas from our head to our heart that overflows from our mouth to our hands and our feet, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus, the people we encounter each and every day. You know, as I was researching for this, I came across a story about Gandhi. He was the leader who helped secure India's independence from the Brits. And he was known to have a really favorable attitude towards Jesus. And so someone once asked him if he would ever consider converting to Christianity. And this was his response. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Like, wow, ouch. 
And here's the reality. None of us will ever be perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. But following Jesus means that when we mess up and we aren't a good reflection of him, then we just clean up the mess that we made and say, I was unkind. Will you forgive me? That was really harsh. I should not have done that. Or I wasn't honest. Here's the $10 back to the Ralph's cashier. Whatever it takes to be wise in the way you act so that the world around you gets a clearer glimpse of the gospel. Because the bottom line is the gospel message is pretty easy to learn. That many of you who've grown up hearing, um, just being around church have heard the gospel and it's you're smart enough to kind of pick up on it. But it, to have the wisdom to present it in a way that really helps people see the truth of what it is. Not to present it in a judgmental way, but the reality of each of us, every single one of us, is under the wrath and judgment of God and deserves eternal punishment and condemnation from God. That's what we deserve. But because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, we can have a personal relationship with God. And that's not judgmental to say, but we need to have wisdom to know how to say that. And also wisdom not to come across as as really self-righteous, too. Like, people feel like, well, they have to get it together or be at a certain place before they can even begin to think about having a relationship with God. And so having wisdom to know what to say and how to act is important. We've got to think through that as well. Because like Paul says at the end of that passage, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. You know, Alexis and I were just talking today. A week from today, she's done. Her classes are over. Her time at USC is, many of you are done. I was looking at that senior list, and so many of you are close to the end. Make the most of every opportunity. You will not be around this group of people in the same way ever again. So be bold. Be courageous. You know, just listen to the news. Yesterday, there was a woman on a Southwest flight that didn't make it home for her family. We don't know. None of us know. Make the most of these opportunities. There are people in your life All of us have numbered days, every single one of us, and nobody knows what that day will be. So be bold in the way, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders because the reality is there will come a day when it's too late. You know, Angela and I grew up in Oklahoma and today's a very big day in Oklahoma because in 1995, before Angela was even born, it was the worst terrorist attack on American soil up until that point of American history. When Timothy McVeigh blew up a building in downtown Oklahoma City, killing over 100 adults and children. I mean, it was people just going to the Social Security office to update their information, to get a passport, to go on a trip. People, it just obliterated this huge building downtown. That's the reality, just going about your day. None of us know. And so to be wise in the way you interact with people, because the day will come when it's too late. And we have a responsibility to do this and to learn how to do this with wisdom. Because Paul also says in verse 6 that the way we act really opens up the door for us to speak the gospel. He says this in 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Wise behavior is a powerful evangelistic tool, but it almost always has to be followed up with a verbal explanation. I remember several years ago, Neil was talking about like 
rarely, if ever, and he was just being funny, that this would never happen as like people who are in your group project and you've served them and loved them and then at the end when you after the presentation, like just from watching the way that you've interacted with us in this group, I now am fully convinced that Jesus was God's only son, that he came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was raised again, and I can have a relationship with God. It all makes sense after being in your group. No, you have to explain that to people. No one just innately knows that. You have to give a verbal explanation. But the way we live our lives opens the door for that, right? It will incite conversation. Questions will be asked, why did you do that? I don't understand that. Help me understand why you responded that way. Because he said your conversation needs to be full of grace. Full of grace means that it's conversation that forgives, that embraces, that is gracious, that, that puts people at ease, that tears down walls, that incites conversation where there can be a dialogue and an exchange of ideas, not just a bashing in of truth, but where people get a glimpse of this God who sent his son to earth to make a way for us to know him. And then he says, let your words also be seasoned with salt. So it's savory. It leaves you wanting more. Have any of you guys ever had something that just had maybe not even a little too much salt, but a lot of salt? You're like, let's never eat that again. That was just gross. So sometimes we give people a little too much. They didn't they ask a question. They didn't like want the whole thing of Morton salt like dumped down their throat. So we want it to be savory. We want to leave them longing for more. And so there's more questions and more dialogue that happens that maybe that first conversation won't lead to them surrendering their life that night, but hopefully in the future it'll open the door for more and more conversations. That the gospel is exciting, that it's full of freedom and hope that this world so longs for. So we need to be people that radiate that and that talk about that, that don't freak out about it, but it just is a, so much a part of our lives that it naturally flows out of us. And we see this in the life of Jesus, that he used stories and that we have stories to tell. The most powerful story you have to tell is how Jesus changed you, that how a decision to follow Jesus has radically changed your life forever. You know, I'm not great at like anecdotes or fictional stories, but I can tell many stories of things that have happened in my life, things that have been really hard, things that have been painful, the majority of the time, the stories you're going to be able to tell is not like that. Well, you see, it's because when I graduated high school with my 4.99798 GPA and I was the valedictorian, then all of these things, like those aren't the stories people are interested in hearing. The stories people are interested in hearing from the heart that they're going to really relate to are the stories there. You were at the end of your rope where hope was lost and you didn't know how you were going to make it through and God showed up. Those are the stories people are wanting to hear. But those aren't the stories we really want to tell because those take courage to share and they also require humility because don't we want people to just think we have it all together? I know I do. I want people to think, wow, she's great. You know, she gets up in the morning, gets a lot done, and she loves Jesus. And we, we put, portray an image, but I think so often we need to let the, always we need to let the image down and let people know the real us, the broken us that has been lovingly put back together by a God alone who can save. So in conclusion, this is what I would encourage you to do. These are rocks I stole from Troy. Uh, in full disclosure, <laughs> that um, 
Yes, I'm a kleptomaniac. Um, <laughs> you can report me to DPS after I finish the message. But what if in the midst of the sand that you had to get done, the to-do list, because we all have to-do lists, let's be honest, like you wouldn't be at USC, you couldn't be sitting in this room if you didn't get things done in life. That's just the reality of it. But what if you had more of an eternal perspective and you began to put in the rocks of being devoted to prayer and the eternal perspective of that people really value and that time here is short. And so you are going to share with people and you're going to be honest with your professor when he doesn't mark you wrong and you are really wrong. And maybe he'll be gracious and he'll be like, thank you for being honest. You can keep the point. Um, <laughs> eternal perspective. And loving people that are hard to love that you think, God, I can't do this anymore. And maybe you begin to pray, God, as much as I want you to take away the circumstance, would you help me in the pain to make clear the gospel and the power of the gospel. And so, yes, you will have many opportunities to get your to-do list done. I hope I don't make a mess. Just guys got to go with me here. Um, and it will fall through, and you're going to get lots done in your life. But maybe my prayer for you and for me is at the end of the day that we will lay our head on the pillow, and we will recognize that to devote ourselves to ourselves really depletes ourselves, but when we devote ourselves to things that have eternal value, to people and to God, there's some bigger things in there. That my heart isn't depleted. That my heart really is replenished in ways that only God can because I have devoted myself to things that have eternal value and aren't just things that are checking off the list, advancing my kingdom. So let me pray and clean up my mess and invite up the worship team. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word and how it changes us. And that you can take hearts of stone and make them into hearts of flesh. And so I pray that you would remind us when our, our minds are just so prone to worry that, that we would choose to pray and we would choose to invite you in and to access your power knowing that you are able and knowing that you are a God who loves and cares about us and about people. And so would you change our perspectives in these weeks ahead when we're going to be really prone to be anxiety-ridden and stressed, that we would look for opportunities to clearly communicate with our lives as well as our words the truth of who you are. Thank you for the privilege of being your representatives, your ambassadors. Would you use us in ways that reach far beyond this campus to make you known for your name and your renown. In your name we pray. Amen.